Ashley Brock reading Diana Palmer's book. Tough to tame chapter seven. Kathy could almost imagine what sort of story Frank had told Bentley, but now she understood his anger. I can't explain to him. You told me Friday night that you had an ex-boyfriend. So I didn't get to hear the rest of the story. But Barlow was kind enough to fool me in. You accused him of assaulting you, and he had him arrested. He actually spent time in jail, and now he has a felony record because of you. Crashman, yes, but that isn't what happened. I know all about women who like to play games with men, you know, but when I was in my early 20s, I worked for a veterinarian while I was in college. The supplement of my grants and scholarships. She had a vet tech who was very pretty but never got dates. I felt sorry for her. She could only work for him part time because I had the full time position. She stayed late one weekend and teased me into kissing her. Then she very calmly tore her, messed up her hair, and phoned the police. Cappy saw her face go pale. She wanted my job, Bentley continued presumably. I dipped into my savings to hire a private detective. He discovered that it wasn't the first time she pulled that stunt. She was arrested and my record was cleared. The vet hired me back in a heartbeat and spent years trying to make it up to me. I had no idea she whispered, of course not, or you wouldn't have tried the same stunt on me. Blinking disbelief. What? You're always talking about what you do if you had money. You knew I was well to do when we were going to accuse me of assaulting you. Have you got a lawyer waiting in the winds to sue me? She couldn't believe her ears. He actually thought she was playing in for cash. Frank had lied to him, and with his background, Bentley had fallen for the talking. I've never accused anyone falsely. She defended herself. Only Frank Barton. She swallowed. He broke my arm, she said with quiet dignity. It wasn't the first time he hit me either. You told me you'd say that, he replied, poor guy. You ruined his life. Well, you aren't going to get the chance to ruin mine. You can work for two weeks' notice. He got it. Just, you're firing me, she asked. No, you're quitting, he returned coldly. That way you won't be able to let the state support you with unemployment insurance or sue me for unlawful termination of employment. I see. Women, he muttered coldly. You think I'd already learned my lesson? You all look so innocent and you all lie. You open the door. Back to work, Miss Drake, he said in a formal tone. It's going to be a long day. She worked mechanically. Even managed to smile at old Mrs. Simps. Smith's jokes and Dr. King's bland comments. Keeley was looking at her oddly, but nobody else seemed to find her behavior out of the ordinary. At the end of the day, she went to her car almost gratefully. She still couldn't believe that Dr. Bottle had fallen for Frank's lies, but she was going to do something about it. She just didn't know what yet. She pulled up in the front yard, puzzled at the colorful cloth pin piled at the front steps. Was kept cleaning house. Slammed on the brakes, cut off the engine, and ran as fast as she could to the front door. That wasn't a bundle of cloth. It was Kel. Kel? He was unconscious, lying beside the wreck of his wheelchair, and he was bleeding from half a dozen cuts. Spoke for a pulse. Thank God. Found one. At least he was still alive. She saw the front door standing open. Didn't dare go inside. The fear someone might be waiting there. She ran back to her car. She jerked out her cell phone, and she punched in 911. Then she ran back to Kel and waited. The next hour was a blur of ambulance sirens, police sirens, blue uniforms, tanning uniforms, and objective terror. She waited for Dr. Micah Steele to come out and tell her what Kel's condition was. She was sick and chilled to the bone. Kel died. She'd have nobody. She came back out to the waiting room for a minute after Kel was brought in, tall, blonde, and sober. Somber. How is he? She asked her. Badly beaten, he told her, which you already know. His back is one long bruise. We're still doing tests, but he has some feeling in his legs, which indicates that the sharp one in his back may have shifted. 
the test verified that I'm having him transported to the medical center in San Antonio. I have a friend who's an orthopedic surgeon there. He'll operate. You mean Cal could walk again? She has exactly Yes, Swampin, but that's not my immediate concern. He said there were three men. One of them was a man you'd had dealings with. I understand Frank Barton. Beating up a paralyzed man with a mop, she gritted. What a brave little worm he is. Sheriff's gotten all points bulletin out for him and his friends, Michael told him. But you're in danger until they find till they're found. You can't stay out there at the house by yourself. You sent Cal to San Antonio, she said. I'll call a friend who works for the same veterinarian practice that employed me until I moved here. She'll let me stay with her. You'll have to be in protective custody, Micah said firmly. Her brother is a Texas Ranger. He lives with her. Well, I'll call her as soon as I call Cal. See Cal. That will be another 20 minutes, he said. We have to finish the test first. He's going to be fine. Okay, thanks, Dr. Silver. Glad I can help. I like Cal. I do too. Phone Brenda Banks in San Antonio. Brenda's brother Colder was a Texas Ranger. He'd been based out of Houston until his best friend, a Houston police officer named Mike Jones, was killed trying to stop a bank robber. Colder had asked for a reassignment to Company D of the Texas Rangers, based in Baxter County, and moved in with his sister. Since Company D now had an office official cold case sergeant, Colter appeared for and obtained the job. Brenda said he loved solving old cases. She tried the apartment first, and sure enough, Brenda was at home in the artwork. How do you like your new How do you like your new job? Brenda asked when she heard Kevin's news. I like it a lot. Do you still have a spare bedroom? And is there a job opening there at the vet clinic? Oh, it's here. Yes, well, things didn't work out as well as I hoped, Captain said Frank. And a couple of his friends came down here and almost beat Cal to death. He's on his way up to San Antonio for back surgery, and I need a place to stay just until after the surgery. They wanted me in protective custody, but I told them Coulter lived with you. You poor kid, you can come and stay as long as you like, Brenda said at once. But Coulter's out of the country on a case. He has an, appoint an apartment of his own now. What about, what's that about, Coach? Yes, is he going to be all right? He's just banged up, mostly, Cappy said. But the shark now in his back is shifted and he has feeling in his legs. They might be able to operate. What a blessing in disguise, the other woman said. But what about you? Don't tell me Frank went to your house just to beat up your brother. He, pro he was probably looking for me, she confessed. But he's already done enough damage to my working relationship with my new boss. I don't have a job anymore, either. I'll ask Dr. Lammers about something part-time, she said immediately. I know they'd love to have you back. The new tech doesn't have the di dictation to the job that you have. He doesn't show up for work half the time, either. I'll phone her right now. Meanwhile, you come up here... You know where the spare keys kept. Thanks a million, Brenda. Her voice was breaking despite her every student talk. Honey, I'm so sorry, Brenda said Brown. If there's anything I can do, anything at all, you just tell me. Caps well. I've missed you. I've missed you too. You just hang on. Get Carol up here and then come up yourself. We'll handle it, okay? Okay. I'll phone Dr. Lammers right now. She hung up. Cappy went back to the waiting room and sat sad and somber. While she waited for the test results and a chance to talk to Kel, Dr. Stu was smiling when he came in. I think it's operable, he said. I'm going to send Kel to San Antonio by chop. It's quicker and it will be easier on his back. We don't have, want the sharp model ship again. You can see him just for a minute. Want to fly up with him? Yes, if I can, she said. Nod toward Kel's room. Cash Grier is in there with him. He wants a word with you, too. Okay, thanks, Dr. Steele.
she opened the door and walked in. Cash Geyer was leaning against the windshield, very somber. Kel looked terrible, but he smiled when she bent over and kissed him. The doctor still thinks they may be able to operate. So I heard he said, I don't know how I'll afford it, but maybe they take IOUs. You get better before you worry about money. She said, but we can always sell the car. Sure, that will pay for my aspirin. <laughs> Stop that. It's going to work out, she said. From, Hi, Chief. Sweet greeting, Jack. How yourself? Your ex-boyfriend was after you. He said without preamble. He won't quit. He knows you'll go back to jail for what he did to Kel. He'll get you if he can before we catch him. I'm going to fly up to San Antonio with Kel, she said slowly, and I'll be staying with my best friend. Her brother's a Texas Ranger. She didn't add that he was out of town after all. Cash wouldn't know. But would she be putting Brenda in danger just by being there? Coulter's out of the country, and Brenda doesn't own a weapon. Cash said stone-faced. He nodded when she cast. I know Coulter. I used to be a Texas Ranger, too. We've kept in touch. You don't want to put Brenda in the line of fire. I was just worried about that. She bit her little Then what do we do? You stay in a hotel near the hospital, he said. We're sending security out to watch you. Police officers from here, woman. Not really, Cash said slowly. Actually, Epscott is dealing, detailing two of his men to stay with you. One is just back from the Middle East, and the other is waiting for an assist assignment. Mercenary, she said so. Exactly. She looked worried. They're not the sort you see in movies, Kel's order. These guys have morals, and they only work for good causes, not just for money. Do you know the men? She asked him. Yes, he, I know them, Cash said once. And you can trust them. They'll take care of you. Just go with Kel to the hospital, and they'll meet you there. I'll have to phone somebody at my office to tell them what's happening. Everybody at your office already knows what's happened, Cash said. Well, except your boss, he added. Just when her heart had skipped two beats. He had to fly to Denver on some sort of personal business, something to do with his stepfather. Oh, that's just as well, she thought. Now she wouldn't have to see him again. Kel didn't know Dr. Rattle had fired her, but this wasn't really the time. Tell him he could wait. What about our house? Kel gave me the keys, and I'll get it to Keeley. She'll make sure the lights are off and everything's locked up and the fridge is cleaned out. I don't want to live there anymore, she told Kel on a subject to him. We don't have to make decisions right now. He replied once he asked me help. I think it was better when I couldn't feel my legs. You'll enjoy walking, Captain. Cal, it wouldn't be, it would be like a miracle. At least some good would have come out of this. Is what I was thinking, Mom. Well, don't worry, it's going to work out. Yes, it is, Captain. Rick Marquis is going to make sure every cop in San Antonio has a personal description of Frank Bartlett. And he's talked to a reporter he knows at one of the news stations. Your nemesis Frank is going to be famous. That is so famous that if he walks into a convenience store, ten people are going to tackle him and yell for the police. Really? But why? Did I mention that there's a reward for his capture, Casho? He took up a little collection. How kind! You should stay here, Casho. Seriously, it's a good town, good people. Her face goes up. I'm not living in any town that has also houses. Doctor Rydell, Cash and Kel exchanged a long look. So Kel might like to stay, she added. Kel wondered what was going on. Can't be have been crazy about her boss or something. I think we need to have a talk about why you're down on your boss. Tomorrow, she said. First thing. I'll probably be in surgery tomorrow, first thing. 
Then I'll tell you while you're unconscious. When do we leave? She added. Joe wanted to argue, but they'd given him something for pain, and he was arguing. As soon as the helicopter gets here, do you need anything from the house? I'm sure Cash will run over there. I've got my purse and my phone. Oh, here's the house key. She added, pulling it off her key ring and handed it to Cash. I know you gave Kells the key, but you need, may need mine. Thanks a lot. If you need anything, you can call Keeley. She'll run it up to you, or her husband, or her sister-in-law will. I'll do that. And try not to worry, Cash added, moving away from her. Things always seem darkest before the dawn. Believe me, I should know. He had a whisma. I've seen my share of darkness. You're a wonderful police chief, she told Another good reason to stay in Jacobs County, he invited. We can agree to disagree on that point, she replied. I might reconsider if you'll lock Dr. Riddle up and throw away the key. Can't do that. He's the best bet in the around. I guess he is at that. Cash wisely didn't add to his former statement. The trip in the helicopter was fascinating to Cappy, who'd never flown in one. Despite Kel's years in the military, she had the she had the opportunity, but she was afraid of the machines. Now, knowing that it was helping to save Kel's legs, she changed her opinion of them. She sat quietly in her seat, smiling at the med techs, but not talking to them. She had just about all she could stand of men, she decided, for at least the next 20 years. She only hoped and prayed that Kel would be able to walk again, and that someday somebody would find Frank Bartley before he came back to finish what he started. Bentley Rotter walked into his office three days later, out of sorts and even more irritable than he'd been when he left. His stepfather had suffered a stroke. It hadn't killed him, but he was temporarily paralyzed on one side and in a nursing home for the foreseeable future. Finley had tracked down the man's younger brother and made arrangements to fly him to Denver to look after his sibling. All that had taken time. He didn't begrudge giving help, but he was still upset about Cappy. Why had he been so stu been stupid enough to get involved with her? Hadn't he learned a lesson about women by now? The office hadn't officially opened for business. It was ten minutes until... It did. He found every employee in the place standing behind the counter glaring at him as if he invented disease. His eyes was like, what's going on? He's based on, Cappy sue me for asking her to quit, is she? He asked with cold sarcasm, Dr. Greenberg, Cappy is in San Antonio with her brother. She said her ex-boyfriend and two of his friends beat Kel within an inch of his life. He felt the blood drain out of his face. What? <laughs> they got Cappy surrounded by... I got Cappy surrounded by police and volunteers trying to keep the same thing from happening to her. Keely got a quote. Sheriff Carson checked into Frank Bartlett's background and found several priors for battery against women, but nobody was willing to press charges until Cappy did. She wasn't exactly willing at that. Her brother forced her to when she got out of the hospital. Bartlett bit her bloody, beat her bloody and broke her arm. She said she'd probably be dead if Cal hadn't managed to knock out Bartlett inside. He felt as if his throat had been cut. He believed that man. How could he have done that to Cappy? How could he have suspected her of such deceit? She'd been the victim. Bentley had believed the lion ex-boyfriend and fired Cappy. Now she was danger and it was his fault. Where is she? He asked him. She told us not to tell you. Dr. King said, but she doesn't want to see you again. In fact, she's got her old job back in San Antonio, and she's going to live there. He felt sick all over. No, she wouldn't want to stay in Jacobs County now. Not after the job Bentley had done on her self-esteem. It had probably been hard for her to trust a man again, having been physically assaulted. She trusted Bentley. She'd been kind and sweet and trusting, and he kicked her in the teeth. He didn't answer, Dr. King. He looked as well. Good to work, people. 
He said it was subdued to him. Nobody answered him. They went to work. He went into his office, closed the door, and picked up the telephone. Yes, side parking. Where's Cappy? He asked Martin. If I tell you, I'll have to change my name and move to a foreign country. So I replied dryly. Tell me anyway, I'll buy you a fake mustache. Sideshow. Okay. But you can't tell her I'll sort her out. Fair enough. Cappy was worn out. She'd been in the waiting room around the clock until the cow was through surgery. It had taken a long time. The chairs must have been selected for the comfort level. She decided to make sure nobody wanted to stay in them longer than a few minutes. It was impossible to sleep in one or even a doze. Her back was killing her. She needed sleep, but she couldn't leave the hospital until she knew Kel was out of the recovery room. Beside her, two tall, somber men sat waiting also. One of them was dark-eyed and dark-haired, and he never seemed to smile. The other one had long blonde hair and a ponytail, and one pale brown eye and an eye patch on the other. He was good-natured about his disability and referred to himself as Deadeye. He chuckled as he said it. She didn't know her names. Detective Sergeant Rick Mark Keyes had dropped by earlier in the day to talk to her about Frank Bartlett's family and friends. She did know about Frank's sister, but she hadn't met any of his friends. Detective Mark Keyes was, she thought, really good-looking. She wondered why he didn't have a steady girlfriend. Marquise had assured her that he was doing everything possible to track down Frank Bartlett, and that a friend of his, who was a news anchor, was going to broadcast a description of Bartlett and ask for help from the public to apprehend him. There was a $2,000 reward being offered for information leading to his arrest and conviction. Brenda came with her to the hospital and stayed until she was called into her own office for an emergency surgery on an adult patient. She promised to return as soon as she could. She was upset that Kathy wasn't going to stay with her. She could borrow a gun, she muttered, and shoot that two-legged snake if he came near the apartment. Kathy smiled and said she hadn't been thinking straight when she called and asked for a place to stay. She wasn't risking Brenda. Besides, she had, a, she had security. Brenda gave the two men a long, curious glance. She did mention that she wouldn't want to mess with them if she was a bad man. The one with a ponytail grinned at her. After Brenda left, Cappy sat with her two somber male attachments while people came and went in the waiting room. She drank endless cups of black coffee and tried not to dwell on her fears. If Cal could just, well, walk again, she told herself the misery of the past few days would be worth it. If only. Finally, the surgeon on Cal's case came out to speak with her, smiling in a surgical grace. Well, you made the shot, Mel, he told her. I'm confident that we got it all. Now we wait for results once your brother has time to heal, but I'm cautiously optimistic that he'll walk again. Oh, thank God, she breathed, giving away the tears. Thank God. Now, will you please go and get some sleep? Yes, you look like that's walking. I'll do that. Thank you, Dr. Sanders. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Leave yourself a number at the nurse's desk, and they'll phone you if they need you. I'll do that right now. She went to the nurse's desk with her two companions, flanking her, looking all around them covertly. I'm Cal Drake's sister, she told the nurse. I want to give you my cell number in case you need to get in touch with me. Certainly. The little brunette replied, smiling. She pulled a pad over to her and held a pen posed over. Go ahead. Cappy gave the number to her. I'll always have it with me and I won't turn it off. The brunette looked from one man to the other. There was me, Cappy told her. She leaned over the counter. You see, they're in terrible danger, and I have to protect them. The two men gave her a simultaneous glare. I could have stopped traffic. The brunette managed to smuggle again. 
Okay, guys, I'm ready whenever you are. She told him the one with the iPad person says, Well, a hot start. You want a head start? <laughs> he asked, pointing away. She ran up at him. You want one? She counted. He chuckled and indicated that she could go first. He turned and winked at the little brunette, who flashed with pleasure. He was whistling as he followed Cappy out of the waiting room. You protect us, the other man scoped. From what? Bug bites? <laughs> Keep that up, Cap told him, and I'll show you a bite. Now, now, let's try to get along, Dead Eye murmured as they waited for the elevator to come back up. I'm, I'm getting along. She's the one with the attitude problem, the other man murmured. Says you, Cap told him. He stared at Dead Eye and pointed at Cappy. I never take sides in family squabbles, Dead Eye told him. She's not a member of my family, the other man said. I like my story, Dead Eye said. Anyway, how can you be sure? Have you had your DNA compared to hers? I know I'm not related to you, the man told Dead Eye. How do you know that? came the driver told Because you're too ugly to be any kin to me. But I never, Dead Eye helped you. Look who's calling who ugly. Your mother dresses you funny, too. Cappy was already lightheaded with relief. These two were setting off her quirky sense of humor. I can't take the two of you anywhere, she complained. You embarrass me to tears. Can I help if he's ugly? The second man said, I was only stating a fact. He's not ugly, Cappy defended at it. Dead eye. He's just unique. Dead eye grinned We can get married first thing in the morning. He said, I've been keeping a wedding ring in my chest of drawers. Just such an emergency. Cappy said that. Sorry, I can't marry you tomorrow. Why not? My brother won't let me date ugly men. You just said I wasn't ugly, he protested. I lied. I could have my nose fixed, she frowned. It was a very nice nose. I can alter it for you with my fist, the other man volunteered. I can alter yours first, Dead Eye warned. No fighting, Gabby protested. We'll all end up in jail. <sighs> Some of us probably escaped from one recently, the other man said with a pointed look at Dead Eye. I didn't have to escape. They let me out on account of my extremely good looks, Dead Eye scoffed. Your looks are extreme, came the reply. It's not good. If you do, don't stop arguing. I'm going to have my best friend come over, spend the night with us, and Yusa will be sharing the sofa, she said. Just shake me now, that I remember, and be done with it. I'm not sharing anything with him unless he's got proof he isn't rabbit. The elevator door had opened while they were arguing. Dr. Bentley Riddle stepped off and stared at the younger man while Captain gaped at his sudden experience. He's a rabbit, Bentley assured that and how would she know, Ted? I asked. I'm a veterinarian, Bentley replied coldly. We should go, Captain said, avoiding Bentley's hand. We? Yes, ma'am. Oh, these are my two new boyfriends, Captain told him with a gold scroll. We're sharing a room. He knew she wasn't involved with two strangers. He had a pretty good idea of who they were and why she was with them. She probably expected him to believe that bald statement was distracting. I heard about Kelly so quietly. How is he? Out of surgery and resting comfortably, thank you, she said firmly. We have to go. Can, you, can we talk? Finally, yes, only. If you can get them, she indicated her companions, to tie me and gag me. Sure, let's go, guys. She walked into the elevator and stood with her back to the door until she heard it close. End of chapter 7.